Good word. I invite you to turn to Genesis 47. And I have talked to a couple of you this morning about this passage. As I go to the back of my Bible, apparently I'm going to go to the back end for Genesis. I'm doing great. Um, how's everybody else doing today? Um, this passage is challenging, but it's not challenging in the sense uh, that some things are within Scripture. Sometimes it's you hit a spot where you know, it, and typically how we go through the Bible is chapter by chapter, book by book, that we that that whatever I believe God's leading us through in this moment. Sometimes you get to one of those passages that you know somebody's going to get mad about, right? And and I can tell you, you may not think I'm shaking in those moments, but I probably am. And this passage. It's very challenging for a very different reason. It's because not a lot happens here. It's narrative. It's story. But there is truth that we draw from our lives as we see this, this mosaic that we call this mosaic of grace coming together, the life of Joseph and bringing his family to Egypt. Now we see some of the ways that it, it takes place, the ways it happens and also some things that happen along the way to, to provide for people, but they're not easy things in the long run. And you know, a lot of us, we, we end up stuck in the mundane. We wake up day to day, and it looks a whole lot like today, or yesterday looks a whole lot like today and tomorrow, and, 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 and you get up and you eat the same thing, and you get up and you drink, you make the coffee, or if you're like me this week, you forget to put the grounds in the coffee pot and you just make hot water. Uh, you should, it's hard to coffee before coffee sometimes, right? But it, it got the pot cleaned out or something. But, you know, we have those moments where it just seems like it's just dragging on. And really, this is that kind of mundane place. We see that now Jacob and Joseph, last week we looked at their reunion, that they got to hug each other, to love each other after more than 20 years apart. As father thought son was dead, now he gets to see him. And what does his dad say? Now I can die. And the son says, wait a minute, I just got your back. Why would you want to go do that? I, that's always one of those fun climax spots in a story, right? You get, it's all happened the way I wanted it to, now I can die. Well, what kind of ending is that? What we find is that there's a little more to J- Jacob's life now. And thankfully, I think that's, it's, a, it's a reward for the, the hardship he endured along the way. But in the strategy that Joseph has to provide for his family, the long-term effects have a long, have a, um, well, they they end up enslaved for 400 years. Now, that's kind of odd, really. You think you're being rescued and you end up being enslaved. And uh, now we're going to kind of see how that happens how the people of Egypt ultimately give them their entire life over to their king in not a good way. Because, see, we serve a king who, when we give our life to him, he gives us life and life more abundantly. In this opposite picture here, we see that their king, Pharaoh, took and took and took. So, hopefully that 
will help us with some perspective as we see this passage. Uh, we, let's see, how much are we going to read? Let's read the first 12 verses together. Let's stand as we do that as well. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers, with their flocks and herds and all that they possess, have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks. For the famine is severe in the land of Canaan, and now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen, and if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. You thought you'd been around a while. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Jacob settled his father, then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Lord, thank you for providing for us. Thank you that you are the source of all good things. And as we see this this story come to its climax and conclusion in the next couple of chapters. I pray that you, you show us your goodness and realize that the things of this world will always fall short. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so it's, well, you can be seated. This will not be an easy thing for me, to, apparently, to keep Joseph and Jacob separate. So if I, and I've, I've listened to myself and watched myself, which is a torturous activity if you've ever had to do, do that. Not, not, well, I mean, may, watching me maybe for you, I don't know. But watching yourself on video is kind of tough. Anyway, the, sometimes you just keep talking and don't realize you've said something opposite and you meant to, anyway, you know, public speaking, right? It's speaking 101. So Joseph has brought his family to the land of Goshen. And I got a map up there. It's kind of small on the big screen. But uh, you, see, you can see the, uh, let's see if they find it. Is it in there somewhere? Did I put a map there? It didn't sink. Oh, technology has failed us. I put it on there in my office and it didn't make it to the back. Okay. All right. There's a map. Imagine the Delta, the Nile Delta. Okay. So they're coming from this direction. And they settle on this end of things, in Goshen. Okay? They call this land Goshen. It's near one of the cities. And it's plentiful. It's got some resources. But nobody else is living there right now. And that's important because the, uh, the, the Israelites now, as we will see the children of Jacob, the children of Israel, as they'll come to be known, the Hebrews, as we get there, all these different names they end up called, they don't have... Uh, a lot of possessions other than their flocks. They brought everything with them, but they also need to keep their distinction as their own people. 
They're not like the Egyptians. And we've actually seen that throughout this passage, throughout the story, that even Joseph in his servitude to Pharaoh, to Potiphar, we see that he separates himself from the Egyptians. There is, for lack of a better term, racism happening. Racism is not a good thing, but it is something that happens throughout history. And it's something that we have to address with the truth of the gospel, and that God loves all people. Now, in this place here, God is rescuing this distinct Hebrew people for His purposes and salvation and bringing salvation to the nations. So it's important that they keep this, um, this distinction. Joseph went and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers and their flocks and herds and all they possess have come from the land of Canaan. Why did they come from Canaan? Because it was worse in Canaan than it was in Egypt. Not nearly the kind of resources that the Nile Delta had, but we know how long had it been since Joseph had interpreted the Pharaoh's dream. It was seven years of plenty, right? They had the seven years of plenty. That's what Joseph gets hired for. Then they have two more years that his brothers show up. So it's been around 10 years that they have been getting ready for this moment. And he said, there's still going to be five more years of this famine. You need to come here so you can be provided for. So Pharaoh and Jacob are introduced. Pharaoh welcomes Jacob and says, here you can be, here is what you should do. Now remember the class system in Egypt is that shepherds were at the bottom of the class. And so Jacob uses this, or Joseph, see, I did it. Joseph uses this to keep his people separate from the Egyptians, to keep them distinct from them for the purposes of salvation, ultimately. You and your father and brothers, verse 5, you're, uh, have come to you. The, the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and brothers in the best of the land. So Joseph's got a great reputation. He gets some good stuff. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know able men... Give them the job of taking care of my sheep. All right. You do better when you have something to occupy your time, right? So now the children of Jacob are going to have a job to do. They're going to be shepherds. And that's what we find now. As he explains himself, this day of his life is 130 years. And and Jacob and Pharaoh have this conversation. Joseph settles his father in the land And they start living their lives as the people of God in a foreign land. That itself has a prophetic picture to what we find in the New Testament. Different places in the New Testament call us strangers and aliens in this world. We don't work here. We don't fit naturally because we are citizens of another land. And we are to live in that land, but distinct from it. So we see this picture of what happens ultimately when Christ comes as our Savior and that we are not to be like the people around us. It doesn't doesn't mean that we are trying to show ourselves to be better. If anything, we are just showing the world that we're just like you. We just found the right way. And when you find the right guy to follow, that would be Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life you're going to live a lot differently. And that's where we find ourselves in this passage here, is that the the people of uh, Israel now will have a place to be in this new land, 
but clearly different than those in it. So, now it keeps going. History continues. Verse 13, There was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. The fa- the, everybody now was affected by this. What did, how did they prepare for it? They collected, the, in, the, in the years of plenty, more grain than they could count, Right? They, they filled up the storehouses to an amount where they just quit bothering with it. All the cities had more than they needed in that time. But now, two, three years into it, all of a sudden we realize, hey, it hadn't rained for a while. And maybe think about, I was thinking about the singing, it's beginning to rain in the middle of winter uh, here a minute ago. Just, just made me think, you know, the irony there. We got, well, we got a little bit of rain last week. It's weird when it rains in January. And dangerous. So, anyway, they hadn't had any life in the ground for multiple years. And, you know, we've, most of us have been around long enough to see times of plenty and times of suffering for the land. And you see when the land gets its water and, and the rains come, you can tell. You can tell, I mean, we've figured out science now where we can irrigate and still have green in the driest times. But everything turns green when it rains. You can tell when the the land is dry. And we've kind of been there the last several years here, right? You can see green grass in the summertime, but it's only because somebody turned on the sprinkler. When the Lord's rains come, the whole land turns green. And they're realizing now it's been dry a long time. That barn that was overflowing all of a sudden is looking leaner than it did. We've still got enough, but we've got to be careful. So here's what happens. Joseph gathers up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. Crisis points. There's nothing more to buy here. So they brought their livestock to Joseph. And Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord that all our money is spent. There's nothing left. The herds of livestock are my Lord's or they're they're yours. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before our eyes, both we and our land, by us? and our land for food. And we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh and give us seed that we may live and not die and that the land may not be desolate. It's a fascinating paragraph that's what's happening here because both the Egyptians and the Israelites start selling off their stuff. They sell it to who? To Pharaoh. So by the time they come back the next year, All they have left is themselves. And both Egyptian and Israelites end up 
in slavery because of this. That's where I see it right there happening at least. Right? Buy us and our land for food. Give us seed that we may live and not die and that the land may not be disciplined. Whose idea was it? Was it Joseph's? It was the people's idea. Democracy at work. Now I just got political and hurt some of your feelers. But the people decided we need to sell ourselves to the king so that we have something to eat. He can give us food then. But the problem is they are no longer their sell- them, they're not no, they no longer own themselves then. They've made themselves to be slaves. And so this actually is one of the distinctives of this day in slavery versus what we saw in the last several hundred years in, in our culture in slavery that these people gave themselves to be slaves. That was part of the economy in, the ancient, in ancient history. That's a lot of the way people survived, is that they would pay their debts by giving themselves to it. They might be able to work themselves out of it, but in this case, they had gotten to such a desperate place that the only thing left was to give up their own life. It makes me think of stories I'd hear from my grandmother about depression and uh, about the depression in those times. And, you know, we can look at our own nation's history and see how those things, and you can use your own interpretation about whether we reflect this or not. I'm not going there, okay? Because you guys can go talk that over after our business meeting, go have lunch together and go gripe about the pastor and whatever he had to say on this. I'm, I'm, what I'm saying here is that the people made their decision and they gave themselves up because of the, they saw no other way out. And I think a lot of times in our lives we end up doing that. Whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, we think that we have to solve it the way we want to solve it. Now, in God's sovereignty, we see that ultimately the, the Israelites re- retain their national identity over a 400-year period. They come from 70 people to millions of people. And then Pharaoh sees them as a positive at that point. We need to keep these guys because we can make them work. But somewhere in that 400 years, only the Israelites become the slaves. And the Egyptians regain their freedom. At least that's the way it plays out in Exodus. So Joseph, in verse 20, bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields, because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. That sounds pretty rough, right? Selling everything you have to the king. Here's where we find the shift in perspective. In that that hardest of times, he recognizes actually that God is still with him. God's plan all along was to bring rescue for his people because this famine was coming. It was deadly because when you don't eat, you die. 
right? We got to the point of desperation where all the people sold themselves to Pharaoh, to the king, and they all became property. That's a pretty ugly place to be. Yet God still provides in those circumstances, and his people still end up fulfilling his purpose. Then Joseph said to the people in verse 23, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land, and at harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own. That sounds similar but different to this tithe concept, right? God, in, in, the, in the law, offers this tithe, the tenth, and says, give your first fruits to him because he's the, first, he's the one who gave to you in the first place. And keep nine-tenths. The king, oh, now we're starting to talk about the IRS here. The king keeps 20% and says, four-fifths go back to you. There's strategy politically here because he knows he's going to have to feed the people still. Right? He does keep his wealth because of this, but he also knows he has to care for the people. He owns them. He has to take care of them. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord. We will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day, whatever day this was written in, that Pharaoh should have the fifth, and the land of priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. So the religious practices mattered in that time. They were a little bit different. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt and the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. Went from 70 to millions. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, and so the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. More than one commentator I read about and preacher I listened to in talking about this passage talked about the uh, kind of the mirror image of Joseph's life with his father here. Because he was 17 years old when he sent him off and his brothers then sold him. And then now Jacob lives 17 years after his entry into Egypt. So this, there's a kind of a redemption picture here. When the time drew near, and this is where it really gets interesting, chapters 48 through 50 are more Jacob than they are Joseph. Because it comes back to the promise of Jacob and, and God fulfilling those, uh, his plan through his seed and his line. But when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now if I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt. Now, there is a vivid picture that I'm not going to go into details with here of putting the hand under the thigh, but that is one of the most solemn promises and oaths that man had with each other in that day. And he tells his son, don't bury me here. And we actually see that reflected forward as we'll come back to it with Joseph. He does die in Egypt, but ultimately his bones are carried out at the Exodus. But let me lie with my fathers, in verse 30. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He said, and that's, this is Joseph answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. And Israel himself bowed upon the head of his bed. 
Then we see the blessings come in chapters 48 through 50. It's an interesting passage here. But what we see fulfilled is God's plan in all of this. And we see God's people brought in a moment of rescue and famine into a foreign land. And they still are going to be who they are. And it made me think of a passage I read in my devotional yesterday, Philippians chapter 3. Reminds us of some of the things that God expects from His people in a foreign land. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me. This is Paul saying this. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. God has called those who trust in Him, followers of Christ, those who trust Christ as their Savior, to be in the land, but not of the land. And I have to examine my heart all the time to say, are my desires... Godly desires or, you know, earthly desires that I try to make look good. And when you go back into the entire account of Joseph, we see that God uses the circumstances he brings his people in for his purposes and for his glory. And God brings us here in our lives now so that Christ might be greater glorified in our weakness that he might be made strong. And that's a theme in the book of Philippians. So when we find ourselves in a place for a long, long time, anybody ever been 130 years old? If I make it half of that, I will break the family path. That's just the way it rolls in today's world. Most of us don't live that long. I think I read this week that the oldest nun, the lady in the world that was a nun in France, and she was 118. Just died. She didn't make it. She was still in Egypt. I mean, it's France, but, you know, whatever. But she didn't make it. We see now that we we feel bogged down in our place, perhaps. But God has called us to trust Him. And that's a theme throughout this entire account of Joseph, right? Trust God. Christ is our path. And He is going to bring us through the valley of the shadow of death, as it would say in Psalm 23. And it's going to be hard at times. It's going to be difficult. But He is right there with us. And we have to realize that it's not our plan, it's His. We serve a King, not that is taking life from us, but is infusing with with resurrection life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And see, you might feel like you've been on that journey like Joseph's been his whole life, been dragged into jail and dragged into all these different places, and now you're in the middle of a famine, 
And even if the grain is good, it's starting to taste like it's been in the garage a while. Right? It doesn't taste as good as it used to. That bread didn't rise quite as well as it did. But God still provides. So do we do what we want to do, and that is to grumble and moan and complain? Or do we recognize the rescue that God has given us through Christ to be strangers and aliens in this place now, to live out the hope? I know in my lifetime, you've seen ebbs and flows in the economy, and you've seen rain, and you've seen times of rain, and you've seen times of drought. I've always lived in dry places, so it's kind of hard to say whether or not uh, I've been in you know, times of rain, because you know, if it rains once here, we're like, yay! It rained. We get two snows every winter. Woohoo! We're going to make it. Well, years and years and years of famine and drought. And Joseph offers a way out. You might be in a place in your life right now. Trust Christ in the path that he is pulling you through and carrying you to bring glory to his name. God protects and provides at His pleasure and through His wisdom. Are we going to trust Him today? Let's pray. Lord, You're good. Thank You for Your faithfulness and Your goodness. I pray, God, that as we, um, as we consider Your faithfulness through Your Word, that you just remind us